know, isn't God good to us? I want you to know something. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to know that I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart. I'm proud to be an American, but I love Jesus more than I love our country. Okay, I, I appreciate the tribute to our veterans who, who gave their, their lives and their time serving and keeping us free. What a blessing they are to each one of us. And it is right and good that we pay tribute to them. But Jesus Christ, he freed me. He freed me from all of the sin, all of the things that bind us. He gave me purpose. He gave me life. He gave me eternal life. I can't wait to see him face to face. You know, this month we kind of focus on Thanksgiving and being thankful. And I do hope that you will join us for our thanks feast next Sunday evening. Uh, We gather at 6 p.m. and uh, bring a dish and put it on the table. And we'll all eat together and fellowship together and uh, just celebrate God's goodness. And I want to share with you this morning just a, a parable Uh, from God's Word that that Jesus uh, taught, one of His parables, and it's out of Matthew chapter 20. And uh, I kind of call it the minor parables, uh, not because it's a sense of importance, but it is less preached and taught compared to what I want to call the big parables, okay, the major parables. You think about um, the prodigal son, or the sower, or um, the, the parable of the talents, but uh, in Matthew 20, we have a parable that Jesus taught. And, um, you know, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He came from heaven to earth. And Jesus came describing what the kingdom of heaven is like to people who have never been there. He's the only one who has been there. He came from heaven, and he's trying to tell people what heaven is like. You ever tried to describe something to someone who has no experience with any of that? Trying to figure out how to describe something they've never seen, something they've never tasted, something they've never um, heard. And, and, And Jesus comes to earth describing what heaven is like. And in Matthew chapter 20, he begins this, and I'm going to read down through verse 16. Jesus said this, he said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, let's say about nine o'clock, and he he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, about noon, and and the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, about 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. 
And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, am I, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that even in this moment that you would reveal and illuminate your word to us. That we would clearly understand this parable that Jesus is teaching. And Father, that we would take it to heart. Father, that you would show us what you desire us to have. And in that, Father, we would be forever changed. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Helmut Tielicke, he calls this parable a coded telegram. And he says, it can only be understood if we know the key, if we can decode the telegram. And I ask, where is the, where is the code to be found so that we can, you know, the key so we can unlock this perplexing parable of our Lord and it's found if you back up just a few verses if you it's found in Matthew chapter 19 verse 27 if you go there with me it says this it says then Peter said to him behold we have left everything and followed you what then will there be for us what then will there be for us and Jesus said to them truly I say to you That you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last And the last, first. (laughs) See, Peter's question, it needed to be answered. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? What are you going to do for us if we leave everything and follow you? And even more importantly than answering his question, the attitude behind the question the Lord needed to address. He needed to talk about that because it was a logical question... And the Lord's answer is encouraging because really he's explaining a hundred percent return on his investments. A hundred times as much as whatever you've left, as whatever you've given, as whatever it is that you've done for my kingdom and for my sake, I will return a hundredfold. Wow. But in this, Jesus detected Peter's question, the attitude of his heart. We're kind of talking about having an attitude of of gratitude, one of thankfulness. 
See, Jesus detected Peter's question that the, the attitude in his heart was very dangerous. And it can be dangerous in our hearts as well. I mean, was Peter only serving the Lord for what God could give him? Were the disciples forsaking all only because they had been promised a reward? So Jesus gives them a parable with several warnings here regarding Christian service. And when I say that service, am I saying the word service? Or am I saying serve us? Because there's a difference. There's a big difference in that. It's a fair question. I mean, let's read the bracketed role reversal statements in chapter 19, verse 30. He says, he says there, he says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then verse 16 says, So the last shall be first, and the first last. I mean, folks, this parable has nothing to do it has nothing to do with our salvation. Nobody works for our salvation. You see, that's kind of what we think, though, that somehow it, it has to do with our salvation. And I guarantee you, on that day, when we receive our, our salvation, our eternal glory, nobody's going to complain about their salvation. <laughs> When you don't get what you deserve, you're not going to complain about it. You're going to be happy and joyful for it. And you're not going to complain about someone else's salvation. You're not going to say, well, how come they got saved better than I did? Hey, the fact that we're all there is going to be glory. And, and, and you know, when we see this... We, we, we understand that he's talking about rewards here. And rewards are granted on the basis of faithfulness and service. And each person's reward is different. See, this, this parable has everything to do with a wrong attitude towards service. Why we do what we do. See, with a promise... In a parable, Jesus dealt with both the question and the questioner. And in doing so, he sheds a lot of light on what the relationship between God and humanity should look like. I love that. First thing I want you to notice here is the generosity. As you read through this passage, you notice the generosity. And it's God's generosity. God's generosity. I mean... Think about this. God does good things even for the ungodly. Even for those who don't pay him any respect. Any for the, any, even to those who have, have no desire to worship him. God still blesses the ungodly. Think about this. But God demonstrated his love toward us. While we were yet sinners. While we were still in our sin. Christ died for us. See, God still does things for the ungodly. I mean, what would it be like, think about this, what would it be like if God gave each of us what we deserve? I don't even want to imagine it. 
I mean, life is unjust. But sometimes it works in our favor. Think about this. I mean, as we, as we sit here today in this place that was created and built by people for the worship of God, most of us probably had nothing to do with that. But we're blessed by it. I tell people, I got here as quick as I could. You know, it's a blessing though. And it's God's blessing upon us. You know, while accepting an award, I think it was Jack Benny. He said, you know, I really don't deserve this award. He said, I have arthritis and I don't deserve it either. That's the way we view things from our selfish perspective. From our selfish perspective in this parable screams at our sense of fairness. How can the people that came and worked an hour get the same thing that someone who worked all day long in the hot sun and bore the burden of the job, how can they get paid the same thing? And we feel like, you know what? That's not fair. In our mind, we say that's not fair. The person who showed up last should get paid less. But you see, that's not God's economy He's not writing labor policy here. Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's telling us about grace. He's showing us God's generosity. And when you become a part of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says God will provide for you because he is a generous God. Does anyone here believe that God is a generous God? We know he is generous. He has dealt with us generously. His grace was poured upon us. We know that because it's amazing grace. He he pours that upon us. And this characteristic of God is illustrated all throughout scripture. That God is a generous God. Why do we have a picture in our mind that he is stingy and selfish? Because we are stingy and selfish. And we think that that because that's who we are, that that's how God is. And Jesus is telling us that God is a generous God. Notice that in the relationship between the employer and the workers, the employer takes the initiative. He's the one who goes out and he compels workers to come into the harvest. He's the one who goes out back to the city square and impels more people to come to the harvest. He's the one who is going throughout the day hiring people and workers for the harvest. You see, this is God. It is God who always takes the initiative because he loves us. God calls and we respond. The Holy Spirit knocks on our door, the door of our heart, and we respond. God is drawing us. He is wooing us. He is is calling us. And I want you to know something that I serve here in Temple, Texas. I serve here in Memorial because God has called me to do His work here. In this area, this part of His vineyard, He has called me to. He calls We respond. Notice also that the householder, the landowner, he invites the workers to work at different hours. You know, from the the time of Origen, who was an early theologian in, in church history, 
from his day forward, uh, these different hours have been understood by some to symbolize the different stages at which people come to Christ. Some people come early in life as maybe a child or a youth and others come in midlife and others come late in life. But what I want you to understand is this, it is never too late for a person to hear, to listen and obey the call of God and become part of his kingdom. Isn't that what this scripture says? When he says the kingdom of heaven is like. He's telling us what heaven is like. And, and that it is never too late for a person to respond to God's call in their life. See the payment of the wages also illustrates the generosity of God. I mean the point is not that everyone receives the same reward. Because we don't. But what the point is, is that whether the workers come early or they come late, they are all provided for. Oh, I love that. I love that. He's preparing a home. He's preparing a place for us. See, the, the question, what's in it for us, that Peter asked. I mean, Jesus' answer was that we will be provided for because of the generosity of God. I want to sit under God's generosity. You know why? Because he owns it all. He owns it all. He doesn't care about profit. What he cares about is, is his work being done in the world so that all may hear, so that all may know the gospel. Now, that said, let me caution you about being aware, being beware of making bargains with God. <laughs> Two categories of workers. Those who came in the first few hours, it says they agreed with the landowner. They had a verbal contract. They had a verbal agreement. We will work all day if you will pay us a denarius. They had a contract, if you will, with the landowner. And then there are those who didn't have and didn't need one. They just said, we will, we will trust you to give us what is right. Give us what is right. So the second group we commend for sticking it out and, you know, not getting discouraged that nobody had hired them. They stayed in there, they waited, and they, they trusted the owner that he would give them what was right. And so they trusted the owner's word and his character. Folks, we need to trust God's word. And we need to trust God's character. See, this explains why the owner paid the workers in reverse order. Starting with the last workers that were hired. He wanted those that were hired in the morning to see how generous he was... To the employees who did not have a contract. They didn't have and they didn't need a contract. So how did this apply to Peter? Peter wanted to know what he was going to get. Lord, what are we going to get if we serve you? If we go all in with you, God. If, if, Lord, if, if we go all in and we, we leave our fishing business. Seems like that might have been profitable. If we leave our fishing business, if we leave our homes, if we leave our, our, our parents and, and all of this stuff and, and we follow you, then what's in it for us? And Peter wanted a contract with God. He wanted to know exactly what he was going to get. 
beware, Peter, because you may just get exactly what you bargained for. Those that came early in the morning, they bargained for a denarius. At the end of the day, they got a denarius. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Those that cut a bargain with God get what they bargained for. See, if we write the contract and we tell God what we want, then we will always come up on the short end. But if we trust God and His character and His word, then we're going to get more than we could ever possibly imagine. I love that because if we let God do it His way, (laughs) Ephesians 3.20 says, we will receive exceedingly abundantly above all that we could think or ask. (laughs) That's a pretty tall order. Because we can think pretty big. Or at least we think we can. See, our master in heaven does not just limit himself to what is just and fair and equal. (laughs) He gives us what is gracious and what is generous. I love that. I want to be like him. I want to give to others what is gracious and generous. I want people to think in in those terms and always remember that God is more interested in our heart attitudes than he is in our work and what we're doing. He invites us to help. It was kind of like when our boys were young. I might invite them to help me cut some wood. And they might piddle at it. They might pick up a stick here or there and put it on the pile. But I wasn't counting on them to get all of the work done. And God's not counting on us to get all the work done. He invites us to be a part of his work. But he cares more about our heart attitude of why we're there and what we're doing while we're there than what it is we're actually doing. See, that's important because he's uh, addressing Peter's attitude here. The first word we have is generosity. The next word is gratitude. I mean, behind the question of Peter was an attitude that had to be dealt with. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And this parable not only shows what God's attitude is uh, toward us, but it also reveals our attitude, what it should be toward Him. I mean, God has blessed us generously, graciously. (laughs) Hallelujah, I'm not going to get what I deserve. On that day when I stand before Him, I'm I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, he, His blood washed me. His, his blood cleansed me. Yes, I'm a sinner. And I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. What a blessing that is. To know that I have an advocate. And I know that I am washed. My, my sins are white. You know, a couple of years ago, I was working on a Ford Taurus, I think. I think it was a Ford Taurus and... I can't remember what it was, but I I remember I was working on the crankshaft bolt down on the motor of this car, doing a favor for a friend, and try as I might, I wasn't able to get that bolt to come loose. I struggled with it, oh, longer than five minutes. I was there half a day, and then part of the next day. And I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, would you help me figure this out? He said, call 
your friend. Use your lifeline. Call Randall Graham. You know, you could just hear it, right? I'm down there on my knees working on this. And he says, call Randall Graham. You know. So I talked to Randall and I said, Randall, what's going on with this crankboat? Tell me about it. I can't get it off. And he said, you know, Ridge, I think some of those uh, crankshaft bolts have reverse threads. I said, what? He said, you have to tighten them the, the, the opposite way. It took me 50 years to figure out how a screw works. And now they go and change it up on me? Something not right about that. But you know, there's a sense in which all of the Bible is kind of like that reverse thread. Everything in the culture that seems right in the Bible comes out wrong. Because Jesus turns the kingdom upside down on its head. And Jesus showed us that the way up, the way to be exalted is to be humbled. The way up is down. See, we have problems with that because we want things in fairness. We want all things equal between everybody. Folks, I don't, I don't read that anywhere in here. What I read is the first will be last and the last will be first. And if that's in a, a foot race, you're talking about a dead heat. That means that everybody crosses the finish line the same. There's a concept. The first will be last and the last will be first. See, I believe that that means that some who are first to the extent of sacrifice and labor may be last in the esteem of God because of their own self-righteous attitudes. Those first workers in the harvest, they said, you've made us equal with these others that came late in the day. Folks, they thought they were better than them. They showed up early, they worked all day. They thought they were better. And they got paid and showed the same generosity of God. See, when we recognize the generosity of God, our, the proper attitude that we should have is one of gratitude towards Him. Gratitude that He allows us the privilege of being a part of the kingdom in the first place. But you see, God's grace offers us a fresh start. I mean, the Christian life really is a series of beginnings. I mean, that's what grace is all about. No one is first. No one is last. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. I'm no worse off than someone else. And, and, and you're no worse off than I am. We're all covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we all finish the same when we know Jesus. This is the great picture of salvation that we have. That Jesus is constantly painting in his parables what the kingdom of heaven is like. The unworthy is raised to the same heights as those who thought themselves worthy. And those who thought themselves worthy were brought down from such depths, uh, to such depths. The unworthy are surprised and delighted to find themselves overwhelmed by such generosity. Man, I can't believe this. I mean, even in my own situation, 
with my relationship with our church, with my relationship with my family and my wife. I didn't dream this good. But that's God's grace. That's His generosity. He blesses us that way. Those who think themselves worthy, they they become resentful that such kindness is being shown to those that they think are less worthy than themselves. But nothing better describes the world of humanity than these pictures that Jesus painted. Two kinds of people, and only two, then and now. Those who want a contract, those who want their money, and those who are just grateful that the owner should have given them a job. See, translate those groups into Paul's spiritual categories, and you have the same two groups. Those who imagine that they are good enough for God, those who want to work for their salvation, and those who, by God's grace, have come to realize that they are unworthy of the least of God's gifts. And who want to say only one thing to God. God have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. See grace. God's grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive. And grace shocks us in what it offers. Because it's truly not of this world. Jesus came to offer us his grace. It frightens us for what it does for sinners. Because the criminal, the prostitute, the drug pusher, the drug dealer, they all receive the same grace that we receive. And we don't like that. Because we think we're better than that. And reality is at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. The first will be last and the last will be first. Understand this, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. But there's also nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Like a gift, the only thing we can do with grace is to receive it. We don't deserve it. And that's why we call it amazing. Because we know we don't deserve it. Do you want a fresh start today? Each of us needs a fresh start. That's what grace is all about. You can have one. How do you, how do you find God's grace? Just ask for it. <laughs> that's all. It's that simple. Bring your empty hands to God and say, God, I need your grace. Humble yourself before him. The way up is down. Humble yourself. The more you feel your need for grace, the more a candidate you are to receive it. But I know this, you won't be turned away. You won't be denied when you come to Christ and ask him for his grace. God's word says, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be washed white as snow. Would you pray with me?
Loving Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your grace that you give us. Lord Jesus, you came to earth. You were born of a virgin. You lived a sinless life. You were crucified on the cross. You died. You were buried. You rose again on the third day. Victorious over the death. Over the grave. Lord Jesus, you gave your life for all. For all people. For the sins of humanity. One sacrifice. For all humanity. Your grace was poured out on the cross. That we might be forgiven. You took the punishment so that we could receive the grace. Holy Spirit, I ask that in this moment that you would convict our hearts. That you would show us the the areas where we need to give it over to the Lord Jesus. Those areas we've been harboring in our hearts and in our lives. Those secret sins, those things that no one else knows about. But Father, the things that so easily trip us up, I pray that today we would lay it at your feet. Father, everything that we give you, you break it, you bless it, you multiply it, and you use it for your glory. So Father, I pray that that would be true of our lives. That Father, today we would come to an acknowledgement of our need for you. And God, that we would know that your grace is so amazing. Father, I pray that in this moment that you would do what only you could do and that is draw us to you. Father, may the cares of this world, may the struggles fade in the distance as your image comes into perfect focus in our heart and in our mind. And that we would see Jesus high and lifted up. And that even this morning, we would bow before our Lord. Your word says, God, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray that we would do that willingly here. As you give us breath, as you give us things, as you give us and put uh, words of praise upon our lips, I pray, Father, that we would give you that allegiance. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for showing us what heaven is like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.